Hi, and welcome back to the Desiree's Baby Podcast. I'm Erin Prieto. I'm Dana Way. And I'm Vihan Malala. And we're going to share our favorite lines from the story. So starting off with mine, I said, in a voice which must have stabbed him if he was human, but he did not notice was my favorite line. Okay, um, my favorite mine, uh, line was, she stayed motionless with gaze rivered upon her child and her face, the picture of fright. My favorite line was, night and day, I thank, the, I thank the good God for having so arranged our lives that our dear Armand will never know that his mother, who adores him, belongs to the race that is cursed with the brand of slavery. And now for us to read the line in our best Louisiana accent, so I'll go first. Why, it seemed but yesterday that Desiree was a little more than a baby herself. The monsieur was riding through the gateway of Armand, had found her lying asleep in the shadow of a big stone pillar. Um, okay, it's my turn. Um, well, it seemed but yesterday that Desiree was little more than a baby herself when Monsieur, in riding through the gateway of Valmond, had found her lying asleep in the shadow of the big stone pillar. All right, I'll go. Nine day, I thank the good God for having so arranged our lives that our dear Armand will never know that his mother, who, who adores him, belongs to the race that is cursed with the brand of slavery. Oh, I think so you were supposed to read, read this one. <laughs> I can ball. cut it out. I can read it out. You read this in a Louisiana accent. No, I thought we read our favorite line. No, you read, no, this, you in read this in the accent. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, I'll try it then. Why it seemed but yesterday that Desiree was little more than a baby herself when Monsieur, in riding through the gateway of Belmont, had found her lying asleep in the shadow of the big stone pillar. And that concludes the first section of our podcast. For the second section of our podcast, we're going to be explaining question number two, which is explore how the author depicts the complex relationship between the husband and the wife. And I don't know, for me, it was just like how in the beginning it was like a love at first sight thing. And then with time throughout the story, it's just like super unbalanced, like she loves him so much and he doesn't love her anymore. And it's just kind of like the contrast between like their love for one another and then especially after they like figure out about the baby it kind of like creates this divide between the two of them and it's like super uncomfortable and she's like he doesn't love me anymore i'm gonna kill myself (laughs) yeah i agree like even though like it seemed like love at first sight like armand had that had that sense of arrogance like with his name apparently it's a really old name it's a very prestigious name and even though it seemed at the beginning they both loved each other, he had that he had that kind of sense, and that was probably like you could kind of see that their relationship wouldn't wouldn't go so well later on. Yeah, to like kind of add on to what you both were saying, like I agree, it was kind of like love at first sight, but I feel like they were both like blinded by love, and that was like an like a theme that just kept reappearing over and over, because like the way that he just fell in love with her based on her looks, and then just asked her to marry him, just like shows how like dramatic it was and then later on like he just finds out their baby's mixed and just like wants to kick her out just for the sake of his own name so i thought like that really said something about who he was as a person too yeah and like if you want to be more specific about what it was i would say it's kind of more like lust than love okay especially like based on like the appearance like if he saw her and was like oh my god she's gorgeous like i want to be with her i need to be with her Uh it's kind of more like 
that attraction to her but not like the deep like connection you have like when you love someone mm -hmm. because like I feel like when you love someone it's like you have that bond you have that connection and it's like you understand one another but for him it was just kind of like he saw her and was like oh my god that is like the woman for me <laughs> and it's just kind of like awkward because it's like how much did they both like actually know about each other especially yeah. if it was just like they got married like a little bit later on after like meeting for the first time i feel like it's not like a real like relationship or marriage it's just kind of like they saw each other and they decided like this is what is gonna work out for the both of us i don't know no that's true because like how the author proves it because at, at the end they talk about him like burning all of his get of previous letters and gifts to desiree and typically like husbands and wives they don't they don't give like that many that many prestigious gifts and, and stuff like that that's only if like you're trying to win someone over and so yeah it kind of seems it kind of seems a little strange that that relationship which which should be something of love is just him buying her gifts and yeah yeah like kind of adding on like him buying her gifts it kind of feels like he bought her herself like because yeah. like i think the way that he proposed he bought her something extremely expensive and then like back to the end where he was like burning everything that she owned just shows how little he really cared about her as a person and how he like saw her as a possession instead and like i think um the reason why she agreed to marry him like wasn't because she loved him they were both just like looking for a way to like project their love onto someone else and it didn't ra really matter who it was and he could like provide her safety and security with his status so i think that had something to do with it too yeah and like to add on to that there's like a line on the second page it's like that he would have loved a girl as well but i know it isn't true i know he says that to pleases me it kind of shows like misogyny like mm -hmm. he wanted a baby boy but if it was a girl he would have been like so like upset with that yeah which kind of like shows like I'm trying to think of how to explain it it's just like does he like love her too you know like what you were saying mm -hmm. like is that it's like artificial you know yeah. like he doesn't really like love her they're both just kind of there mm -hmm. and they kind of yeah and that like same area she was t she was like basically praising him and like she was saying like oh mama I'm so happy that it frightens me but like when he's upset it scares her but then when he's happy, it makes her happy too. So it feels like their love is really forced and like she was like kind of oblivious and like blinded by that love. Yeah, like it seems traumatic when I was yeah. reading how she gets like scared when he's upset or like mm -hmm. if he like furrows, she's like, oh my God, like I did something wrong to me. That seems like abusive. I don't know why. Yeah. It just seems like she shouldn't be having that type of response to him if they were actually in love with each other because why would she be acting that way when he gets upset? No, yeah, and that plays into like how when he saw when he saw the color of the baby, he immediately attributed it to Desiree instead of like, oh, it could be a problem with himself or maybe his, his genetics instead of hers. And so, yeah. He kind of just projected himself like onto her. Like he didn't really like consider like, oh wait, why is the baby like mixed? Like yeah. why does the baby look the way the baby does? Mm -hmm. It was just kind of like, it's your fault. You're not white, so the baby's not white. And like yeah. that's your problem instead of it being like, maybe it could be me too, but like I'm not aware of that yet, you know? So it kind of just causes like discourse between the two of them yeah. throughout the, the whole story. Yeah. Any other? I think, I think that's, that's it. Yeah, that's I it. think we did good on that.
Okay, and that concludes our second question. going on to our third question which is now consider how the author explores the complex relationship between emotions and social propriety there we go oh sorry um so the first sign we see about that social propriety is like well for well first off it's it's her it's how he it's how Armand treats um Desiree but also like when we look at more of the racism side rather than his treatment of Desiree it's also it's also how he sees the baby the baby when he notices the baby is black like like we said in the first question he he relates it to Desiree he relates it to Desiree and that kind of plays into his his this thing of misogyny in the story but also in that yeah so to add on to more what you said about racism, I found it really ironic that he was being so racist. I mean, he owns a slave plantation, doesn't he? So like, yeah. that's something. But then it's so ironic because at the end, you find out that he, his mother was actually mixed race. So he's like projecting that racism onto himself and he's like rejecting his own race. Yeah. When I was reading it too, like when I read the end, I was like shocked. I was like, he was projecting onto Desiree and like the baby when they got into the like giant argument that they had. And I thought that was unfair because it's like he didn't realize himself until later on. And I feel like it kind of builds like guilt for him mm -hmm. almost because it's like, oh crap, I was like projecting onto her and now she's gone. And I didn't even realize that like I was black myself. And the thing is too, is like what kind of threw me off is like, he was mixed, but he still owned slaves and still treated them so poorly. Like you're saying, it's kind of ironic, but then also building off of what Vihan said for like misogyny. Um, like during the time period, um, women were so reliant on their husbands and women were housewives. They stayed at home with the children and like they cooked and like did all the things around the house while men worked off in the fields and like did a lot of the more like heavy work stuff. And in this story, she, as she writes like, the note to her mother she says um armand has told me i am not white for god's sake tell him it's not true you must know it is not true i shall die i must die i cannot be so unhappy and live mm -hmm. so it kind of shows like how hurt she was by the fact that like her husband didn't love her anymore after he told her that she was black even though she's not so like the projecting kind of like led on with like the misogyny thing it's just like unfair and then it kind of just played into like how that hurt her just because like women during the time that was like their sole purpose was to like get in a relationship with a man and then like do everything for the man so like without him she was kind of like nothing almost no that's right because in yeah like when she was when she was talking to her mom and like kind of begging him to see that she oh she has white skin there's like nothing wrong with her and his kind of his kind of thoughts about how like the inferiority of like the black race it kind of influenced her in a way like she has to please her husband and that oh I can't be I can't be black as well and so yeah and also the fact that Armand doesn't even listen to her when she when she's making these pleas and these in this begging it kind of it kind of um, reveals how his or how she, how he thinks uh, Desiree's role is in society and that's of a woman. Yeah, I definitely agree. And like, 
it's not just Armand that was like the whole situation with like slavery and like social statuses and things like that. I think that in the beginning, I found it really interesting that the Valmonds, like these people who own this plantation, they they just find a child just off like under some pillar just that they've never seen before, and they don't know where this child comes from, but they're generous enough to like adopt that child and care for it, which is like complete opposite of Armand. So it's like a contrast to show how like just because of his status, like he could have changed and like become a better person and like accepted Desiree, but instead he didn't. So the parents were like the opposite of that. Yeah, and so like and to build on that, they were kind of they were really generous and kind to the child when they didn't know or when they didn't even think of their race. Mm -hmm. And that kindness kind of faded away when those social standards came in about how the child actually was mixed race and that kind of affected their whole view. So that generosity kind of ends when when that social, yeah. Well, it doesn't exactly end because at, um, after they found out that Desiree's child was mixed, um, the mother offered her to go come back to their home. So she still loved her and cared about her. I know, like I mean about Armand. Oh, yeah, yeah. Armand. Okay, sorry. Because, like, the mom was, like, super considerate and yeah, caring for her, like, the entire time, like, throughout everything. She was, like, even if you are black and, like, the baby's black, like, we still love you and we'll care for you. And I feel like that kind of just, like, super contrasting with the time period, too, because, like, people mainly in the north like in society like in the colonies they were like very like a lot more understanding about stuff like that compared to the south and like where they are in louisiana slavery was kind of like the main thing going on during the time and i feel like that kind of just reflects like the social standards like there was lots of like racial like prejudice against black people so the fact that she was like so considerate and like wanted like take her in and the baby and like care for them says so much and like you think like with Armand's status like regardless like yeah if he was considered to be like a white man you know like he still could have like helped her out even if that would kind of put like a bad name on yeah, his status definitely okay um is there anything else you guys want to add to this or are we good i think that's we mainly six minutes, so. yeah. Oh, okay yeah and that concludes our third question We're now going on to our fourth question in the podcast, which is what archetypes did you uncover in your reading and how did they contribute to your understanding in the previous questions? Well, okay, so an archetype that I found was shadows, but other than that, I also found a lot of foreshadowing that was in this. Um, for example, I think here it says Monsieur um, Valmont grew practical and wanted things well considered, that is, that the girl's obscure origin. So they were they found her under some stone pillar that shows how her origin was unknown, which like later foreshadows that something could happen. And again, later when they find out the baby is mixed race and they're having the argument, Desiree, she she says to her husband, look at my hand, whiter than yours, Armand. She laughed hysterically. I found that really funny because it foreshadows later that she was in fact not mixed race and it was Armand who was. And that just foreshadowed that um, the ending where he finds out that he was the one who was mixed race and he messed up. 
And another archetype I found was about the stone pillars, especially in the beginning of the story. Like when, when I relate, the, I, for some reason I relate the stone pillars to Stonehenge in England because that kind of has a mysterious origin and that relates to, Des, uh, to Desiree who also had a mysterious origin. And plus the shadow archetype uh, that she talked about also builds upon that, uh, that idea of mysteriousness for Desiree. I agree with that. It's like the shadows. It's like, ooh, it's like so mysterious. Like, where did she come from? Like, why was she there? They said, like, she was dropped off by, like, a party of Texans, but they don't really know if that's true. That's just kind of the story that they made for Desiree, like, how she got there and, like, how that was. But I also thought, like, building off of the archetype of shadows was, like, darkness kind of throughout it, too, because you can see, like, the darkness of, like, their mentality and, like, that shift and how they were so loving and caring for one another, but once grace was brought into it, so you could, like, play on words, like, the color of their skin, but also, like, the mentality towards, like, black people, it was kind of, like, showing, like, I don't know. Like, the lack of understanding and care for one another, I guess, but also just the lack of... <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'll cut that part out. But also the lack of... I don't know. Just like, I, like what I said, it's like the lack of understanding, but that can also carry out through like where she came from like her origins but also just like later on with the baby like the only person to understand was um madame valmond but everyone else and like armand just didn't want to understand that i kind of want to go back to what you were saying about the darkness i kind of in my mind i saw like um the val Valmont's place as like this brighter like nicer like almost bright it's described like more pleasing to hear about and then describing Armand's house I noticed that it mirrors Armand's personality because the house isn't described very well it's described as like not known um it was had not known the gentle presence of a mistress so it shows how he like is misogynistic and then it talks about how it's like a sad looking place and like it's just not a very nice description like with the big solemn oaks and things like that it mirrors his personality too and then i kind of want to add on to that with like the bayou too especially when it's like and it was an october afternoon the sun was just sinking that's kind of like playing back into the darkness like she's going into the bayou because she's going to die and like kill herself you know and that's like reflecting what happened earlier with like armand and like the whole fight that they had together like the setting of the bayou and like how it's described like her hair was uncovered and the sun's rays brought a golden gleam from its brown meshes and then it's like she did not take the beaten road so like i feel like the setting and just like how that's described in the part <laughs> is reflected of just like their personality mm -hmm, definitely. yeah and i wanted to add on to that i think mr wills was talking about it uh, the the uh, october afternoon and how Fall, uh, the seasons of fall and winter relate to like the sun coming down to death to darkness and so that that relates to I guess Desiree's feelings of how she has to leave Armand how I guess it's the I guess it's the end of those two like the end of a 
the end of a day, the end of uh, the sun, the sun shining, and so I can relate those two, those two things together. I like how you describe that, like the end of the sun shining. It's kind of like the end of their relationship too. It's like they're parting with each other. It's kind of like you could describe that even as like the sun and the moon. Yes. Like as the moon goes down, the sun comes up. But as the sun goes down, the moon comes up, and it's kind of like the separation of the two. Mm-hmm. Once Armand like establishes that he thinks that. Desiree's black even though she isn't it's just kind of like those two contrasting things like especially with the sun and the moon like the sun's like this masculine presence so like the sun setting is kind of like his departure away from Desiree and I think I'm not sure if this is correct but it feels like throughout the whole story Desiree was almost like she gave me the idea that she was more of like a Christ figure like she was always described as pure although she was like her origins are like unknown and mysterious she always wore light clothing and like she was always described as pure and like took care of her baby well so which really shocked me in the line where like um she she was walking uh, across the deserted field and then i think the scene that it says where her tender feet were being bruised and her delicate dress was being like ripped and torn apart it kind of felt like like that was like such a big turning point where like she just gave up on living because of well she thought she was mixed race so that was kind of like a big contrast too you know that's actually a really good point you brought up i never thought of relating desiree to a christ figure <laughs> yeah. but like now you now that you like reveal all of the that evidence that she is one then yeah especially with like the feet thing like where jesus was like punctured like on the cross (laughs) like you can kind of see that especially like because she's described as like nurturing and caring for her baby like that's generally seen in christ figures Mm -hmm. like they always look out for like the underdogs like the younger people and like desert's baby was just shamed Mm -hmm. for its race even though it's not even her fault that the baby was black so i think that's a really good like archetype to add on especially like since that's not like super (laughs) i'm trying to think of the word it's not like in the open like it's not just something you would like see like in the story like oh my god she's the christ figure it's like you have to think about it a little more and like read the details and like have a better understanding of like how she's described and like oh wow like she can be seen as like the christ figure that's why i wasn't so sure because like killing yourself and your baby isn't a very christ figure thing to do so i thought like maybe like armand is just some kind of evil that like like he symbolizes some kind of evil that is strong enough to like make a christ figure like i don't know like fall yeah basically no, but yeah, I like I don't think you mentioned this, but like another piece of evidence that relates her to a Christ figure is that like how Jesus on the cross was like his body and his clothes were all torn up. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Desiree at the end of the story. Her her dress was also when she was I think going down like the field, it was being torn up as she was entering the bayou. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that's another piece of evidence that relates her to a Christ figure. Wait, could the bayou be like like a what kind of like a rebirth or like a what are those called baptism yeah like a baptism well, but to water, death well, she didn't enter it oh, never explicitly like, maybe said did. maybe she did well maybe he, might be mr will said the thing much. about the crocodile <laughs> yeah that was pretty funny but, yeah i mean maybe it could maybe but i don't i think we should move on yeah yeah 
And that concludes the end of our fourth question. So on our final question, which is question number five, it says secrets and other media. What purpose do they serve and how do they help us to better understand a character's motivation? So an example that I thought of was the Pixar movie, Luca. In the movie, um, Alberto and Luca are sea monsters, but when they go to Genova, not Genova, what's the little town they're in? I think it is, no, it's Genova. Yeah, it's Genova. When they go to Genova, they kind of have to keep it hidden that they're sea monsters because that town hates sea monsters. And they like would hunt after the sea monsters and they had like posters everywhere for like rewards for money if sea monsters were found. So like with the help of their friend, like Julia, you know, they try to get into the cup so that they can win enough money to get a Vespa. It's like Luca and Alberto's like dream thing so that they could get a Vespa and travel the world. But like throughout the movie, they like try so hard to keep their secret hidden until the end, it kind of gets exposed to Julia, but like she's very understanding of it. And she tries her best to like help both of them out so that like other people won't shame them for it. And I think you can kind of correlate that back to like Madame Valmont trying to bring in like Desiree and like trying to keep like her safe and make her feel comfortable with who she is because she loves her like unconditionally and regardless and that's kind of like the relationship that Alberto and Luca built with Julia because it was just kind of like this little unconditional love like they were the underdogs in the movie and like no one liked them and because of that they were able to create like such a strong bond with one another. Yeah I remember like I didn't watch Luca but I remember I think Mr. Wills showed a scene where Julia, Julia and her father, I think he made like this pasta thing and like they were, I think Luca and I don't know the other guy's name but like they were, instead of eating it with like a fork like how you would normally eat like noodles or pasta or something they just grabbed it with their hands and started shoving it down their mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah that was like, that relates to the secret I guess that were, that they were underwater creatures and yeah. Well I didn't really watch Luca either but I remember in Fahrenheit Montag, um, he's the firefighter, which means that like he goes out and burns books, which oh. <laughs> oh, sorry, he goes out and burns books, but a secret that he keeps is that he actually has a stash of books hidden in his own home, which is like pretty ironic because he's supposed to be burning them instead of reading them and gaining knowledge. And this secret just reveals how like him as a firefighter, how he's like changing and like changing his views and st like he's used to be very ignorant, but like having those books shows that like there's some little bit of humanity left inside of him and he could change. So yeah. Like I'm trying to remember from Fahrenheit 451. But yeah, I wasn't yeah. there a female character too? Uh, yeah, Didn't her name she was Clarice? Help, did she help him? Right? Yeah, she like helped him out throughout the story. Yeah, I don't think I don't think she had books or anything, but like she would talk about how like the importance of knowledge and like spending time with people and building relationships other than just like because it was a very like what's that utopian society? society. Yeah, yeah, where like people they just focused on technology nobody talked to each other he and his wife like never spoke to each other he had no human oh, connection yeah. like yeah. the bar scene and whatever yeah they had no yeah. connections and she kind of just brought that into his life and kind of was like his savior almost i think yeah and i mean you can kind of connect 
that back to like what I said about like Luca. Yeah. It's kind of like that community, like that togetherness feeling that both Alberto and Luca got when yeah. they met Julia. Like they were never exposed to humans. Like they were always told humans are a bad thing. Like how books were a bad thing in Fahrenheit, and it was just kind of like. It's like that common thing, like the secrets, but like you'll always find th- that one person or like that group of people that will just like understand and like accept you regardless for what it is. Yeah. Oh wait, yeah. So you were talking about how in Luca they they thought that humans were bad. Now that kind of like for some reason that reminded me of Animal Farm, which is like the book I'm reading <laughs> oh, yeah. and how like the animals thought like the humans were bad and. However, like they're like to relate it to secrecy, like their I guess their leader Napoleon, he had like secret relations with humans and he was trading with them and at the end like the pigs eventually become the humans. So that was kind of like that secret that secret like it's kinda of like a tragic ending about how the animal society isn't what they think it is and how like their pig leaders were keeping it a secret for them. So like overall what do you guys think like why do people add secrets into like their work and like movies and stuff? Plot. I just, yeah, yeah, plot. Yeah, basically plot. <laughs> plot, but it also adds like complexity. Like yeah. there's one thing happening, but then there's like this underlying thing that's also occurring <laughs> within the film. Mm-hmm. Then it kind of helps like drive the plot more and kind of makes it more like engaging for the audience and kind of just brings like a sense of like oh, but this is happening, but there's this other thing, but they correlate? Like, yeah. what's going on? I think it just makes, like, the like use of, like, secrets just makes things more interesting, like Spider-Man, like, you know, Peter Parker, and then he gets bit by the spider, and then he's like, oh my god, I'm Spider-Man now. <laughs> but it's, like, not that many people know he's Spider-Man, except for, like, that one girl. I don't know her the, name. The yeah, I don't know her name. I just, like, know, like, scenes and stuff and, like, pictures that I've seen, but it's just, like... It adds, like, that intensity and, like, oh my gosh, like, that wow factor to films, I think. And I think that concludes the end of our podcast. So thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. (laughs) Yup.